Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 37, Get Out of Your Own Little World and Go Into Theirs. I was at a funeral wake after a particularly tragic funeral. One of our neighbours, a very popular 17-year-old boy, had died with a brain tumour. He was a lovely and lively character from a church family. There were hundreds of people at the church funeral service and the best part of a hundred at the pub for the drinks and nibbles afterwards. I taught this boy in the Sunday school and youth group. Although I no longer went to this church, I knew most people there by sight, and some of them very well. As I walked into the big open space of the main public bar, I noticed the two parish clergy sat down talking to each other. They were the vicar and the curate, both full-time paid clergy, with just this one parish to look after. I know they'd done a lot to support the boy's family, both of them quite friendly, I thought outgoing characters, who were good at putting people at their ease, and I suppose I expected to see them working the crowd. I walked past them and started mingling myself. I talked to the boy's uncles and grandparents and his scout group. I talked to his schoolmates. Everyone wanted to talk about the boy and to tell their stories about him. But as I mixed, I couldn't help noticing out of the corner of my eye that the two clergy remained sat down talking to each other. Surely after half an hour they'll be up on their feet, I thought. I was there for about an hour and a half, and as I left, the clergy were still still sat down like Tweedledum and Tweedledee talking to each other, not mixing not moving round the party. Now, of course, I don't know what was going on in these two clergywomen's lives. They may have felt slightly awkward because the family requested the ministry of the retired priest to conduct the funeral service. But this wake sticks in my mind several years later as an alarming example of how clergy often get stuck in their own little world when there's another, bigger world all around them that really needs them. Would they really need me to point out that the funeral for a 17-year-old Christian boy is going to arouse raw grief and spiritual angst? Would they really want me to explain how I was going round the party, doing what they could have done far better than me, i.e. validating people's stories about the boy we'd lost? better than me because they were the more obvious representatives of priesthood in that community. I wonder how many people I missed, who I would have, who would have been ripe for a deep and meaningful talk about God or just about life. And so the third and final Hensley Henson style ad clarum. Get out, get out of your own little world and go into theirs. And if it sounds like I'm trying to sell myself as a model of this, no, looking back on my active ministry, I was pretty rubbish at this. Allow me to mark my own homework 
in relation to the three Hensley Henson style ad clarums I've given you. Number one, smarten up. I was pretty good at this. I think I deserved a grade A. Number two, tweet off. I was mixed at that. On the one hand, social media hadn't been invented, so I didn't have the same level of temptation as the clergy today. But I was distracted by writing tracks for internal church battles. So perhaps a B grade. But the third one, getting out, I think I deserve no better than a grade C. I was diligent in my home visits. I went from house to house. One mother was so impressed with me cycling round to their home in the rain to invite her teenage son to our youth group that she made the poor lad go whether he wanted to or not. But I was too protective of my own privacy and a bit too precious about the dignity of my office. Like a lot of clergy, I was too taken up with my own agenda for the church and not nearly interested enough in what the wider community thought or felt or prayed about. Yes, looking back on my time as a curate, I was firmly entrenched in my own little world. So I can't offer any great example here. If I'm getting at anybody today, I'm getting at myself as much as anyone. I've been to more than my fair share of clergy licensing services down the years for new vicars. I used to feel inspired by the dramatic presentation of this comprehensive full vision for the role, saying to the local school and bowling club and market traders, the vicar is here for you. But over the years, I've come to see these services as a bit of a cruel delusion, dumping a pile of overinflated expectation on the poor vicar's head. Setting them up to fail and to feel guilty about their failure. I think there's no other job that licenses you to be counsellor to all and then traps you into a tiny club in quite the same way. On another day we can look at how the organisation does this, but for today I'm convinced that part of the problem is the clergy's own mindset. Let me tell you about another child funeral. A child dying is one of the bleakest and most soul-destroying things clergy ever deal with. There's just so little you can say without sounding crass, and so little to do that means anything. In an affluent Cheshire town, a middle-class couple in their thirties came to the church to organise the funeral for their three-year-old son, their only child. He'd been born with a congenital condition and been through rounds of medical treatment with limited effect. During those three years, they got to know other parents going through similar experience, and of course they attended many child funerals for children with the same condition. So I walked into their immaculate home for the funeral visit, preparing myself for grief, strong emotion and tears, but I was completely wrong-footed. There was no emotion on display. He said, we've known this day was coming for a long time. We've done most of our grieving. We just want a really good send-off for our son. And they handed me an order of service for what they wanted in this funeral. And my heart sank as I read through it. They wanted readings from Native Americans, from Buddhism, 
and what I saw as slightly sentimental self-help gurus. The main ritual would be balloons. They explained they'd had a long time to think about what they wanted and see many child funerals that they did not want and some that showed them what they did want. Now, a wiser priest would have slowed the conversation down and tried to think themselves into this couple's world. I suppose I felt de-skilled and professionally redundant by them telling me the content of the service, curating the service I thought was my expertise. So very gently and nicely I said, No, I'm a Christian minister in the Church of England and the only funeral I can offer you is prayers from our prayer book, readings from the Bible. There may be some scope for you to add in one or two things, but essentially you're going to get a funeral that's shaped by the Christian faith. Just as gently and equally nicely they said no. We know what we want and we don't want any of that. Now we were under the pressure of time. The funeral was scheduled for just a few days later and they'd already sent out their invitations. So thinking on my feet, I offered them the best compromise I could think of on the spot. I said, you live in this parish and the church building belongs to you. I can't really give you what you want. So how about this? I stand aside and let you find another efficient to take the ceremony in our church building. Then you can do whatever you want. They accepted the deal and I left. Now some people would say I let the side down by handing over the church building for their non-Christian religion. But slowly, over the years, I've come to see this episode as one of the worst failings of my ordained ministry for a different reason. I think I ticked the box for integrity in terms of my own personal beliefs, perhaps not the use of the church, but where I get a big fail mark is in the box labelled imagination. What I like to think I would have done now is to get to know them a bit better and think myself into their world and see what I could offer them. Funerals are changing quite fast in this country. Put simply, the nation is moving away from handing funerals over to the clergy. Families still need help, so we see the rise of the secular celebrant. There are lots of reasons for this, but one of them, in my humble opinion, is that clergy have got stuck in their own little world and have not shown enough imagination in thinking themselves into other people's worlds. Let's consider how the game has changed. I was trained to take funerals by a kind, pastoral and experienced vicar in London. His funerals were good, but when I copied his approach, I could sense the people didn't really like it from me. Henry Faithful was 40 years older than me, and so congregations didn't mind him doing it by the book, the old school way that merely recited the prayer book with no eulogy of the deceased. That generation of clergy thought they were making the funeral personal if they merely mentioned the deceased's name. But local people expected something much more personal and life-centred from a younger man like me, so I had to reinvent the whole thing. I had to learn about the person who died 
and then put something together that reflected their life as much as it reflected the prayers in the book, which I edited drastically. The church has been playing catch-up with funerals for a long time, and it seems to me it's a battle we're losing. But when we exercise a bit of thoughtful imagination, we catch up a bit. I think we've heard enough about funerals today, haven't we? Let's finish this Hensley Henson style ad clarum by going back to the Diocese of Durham to see if we can find a good example. Last year, I was following a Pevenza perambulation on a Saturday morning around the Teesside market town of Stockton. Working my way up the high street, I came to the parish church just in time to squeeze in before the arrival of the bride before the morning's wedding. I brushed past three clergy in the porch, fighting over each other to greet me, then to have my ears blasted by the rock band warming up and my eyes dazzled by the colourfully decorated church with large screens welcoming and celebrating the love of Paul and Tracy. The place was chocker with 30-something couples in their lacy wedding finery and the atmosphere and anticipation were electric. Now, it wasn't my sort of culture and I can imagine Hensley Henson's snobby put down about the male vicar's earring. But I've got to give this church full marks for really showing a bit of imagination in their effort to connect with the world of this bride and groom. And the clergy here were not talking to each other. They were chatting up the crowd. I, for one, couldn't get rid of them. So church ahead, ad clarum number three, get out of your own little world and get into theirs. See if you can show enough imagination to get a better grade than my grade C. Now I'd like to thank His Lordship Hensley Henson for joining us these past three weeks. You can go back to Auckland Castle now. What have you got on today? A bit of hunting and your 800 acres? Having berated and bashed the clergy of my day, let me finish by making one of the most obvious comparisons between the clergy of that age and this. No one is in it for the status and privilege of easy social convention today. The clergy today believe in what they're doing, so perhaps we should respect the clergy today more than those of a hundred years ago. I sense that on the whole, their motives are purer. Yes, I've teased the Bishop of Durham and some of the clergy then and now, but the truth is that for our agenda at Church Ahead, these personnel issues might be entertaining, but they don't provide very rich pickings for trying to understand what's causing church decline or how there might be a better future. The centuries-long decline of Christianity all over the Western world is not because a minister in Middlesbrough wore scruffy jeans or wasted an hour on social media or even lacked the imagination for a day or even a decade. There are bigger issues for us to look at. The next three weeks we're going to look at the Zeitgeist Church operates in. How is the world changing around us? My guess is that these next three issues are at least twice as important as the last three.
Thank you for listening to episode 37. Please join me next week when we look at disintermediation. Any clergy who've been hiding under the table for the last three weeks can come out now.